They cared not to inquire who the active servant was. All were imbued by themselves, self-pity, their own ghostly, creaking problems, though all might seem to hear to her to be but the willful exaggerations of their problems, which should have been suppressed or ignored, nipped in the bud by a wintry blast before they had got started. She could not have understood a merely mental sorrow, that arising from no physical source or caused by a cause or caused by a cause so small, it could not be located at a glance. She better understood the broken bones, the actuality of a physical trial which had not been anybody's wish or desire, the trials of the courageous spirit, and she was impatient with all else, with all these visionaries, these thinkers of sad and empty thoughts. Among all those who came to the house, only one had ever greeted Miss Mackintosh with any real enthusiasm or feeling. It seemed a recognition of wild ex wildest ecstasy, a look of eagerness lighting up his bloodshot, bulging eyes, his thick wrists trembling with uncontrollable delight as if he could hardly contain himself, as if at any moment he would spring upon her and take her by her shining hair and drag her away into a dark corner, there to perform his nefarious deed to despoil her honor. But this would be no old maid's romance. It was her unbiased opinion, and she was far from favorably impressed or even vaguely flattered by his complimentary attitude and his guttural ravings, which sounded to her like groans, and for the most obvious reason which should have appealed to anyone yet in his senses, and with his common sense about him, and with his head upon his shoulders. Her admirer was a head-hunter. He was an Australian bushman, wearing a loincloth, great hairs growing in patches out of his mottled skin, his wild curls hanging like tangled weeds around a very primitive, broken, pockmarked face which yet had, in spite of its strength, a peculiar delicacy like something ethereal and far away, something which should disgust her. Her eyes lighted up whenever he his eyes lighted up whenever he saw her, but this was an unearthly fact, along with many others which she could not quite stomach, as she would say, and could not understand even if she tried, doing her utmost. Many things about him she disapproved of, having no shadow of doubt in her own mind, none of those marginal feelings my mother's might have entertained when not sure at all what he, that he was real. She entertained this bold headhunter, feeding him little crumbs of her wedding cake. Miss Mackintosh, with her usual certainty in the face of any mystery, was quite sure this headhunter should not be trusted, for he was deceitful, someone who should have been put out of doors and made to fare for himself, and who had preferred to the living sunlight, these unhealthy shadows, these shimmers, these phantom of phantoms. He was just semi-civilized and half-baked and confused, a headhunter who, instead of acquiring social consciousness and a feeling for his poor fellow men, a knowledge of how the other half lived, and become a sculptor of heads, forming out of barnacles the heads of old Catholic saints or Jewish patriarchs, but indefinitely realizing vague as faces underwater, leaving much to the imagination, for his dreams so self-centered no matter how foreign they were, or that he might go over to Rome and be joined with the angels and with God's love. Yet though he had never been in Rome, a heathen and monstrous city idealizing the dead, it was her plain opinion, a place which good Christians should flee from as from a plague, a place of cinders, one where she would not be seen. Nor was he even a good Presbyterian or free Methodist or shouting Baptist or Jehovah's Witness. Nor did he believe in total immersion, for he believed in sprinkling, and he gave himself these attitudes of lonely grandeur, as if he might even some day become the Pope wearing turrets of gold. And he dreamed of a city of gold and marble with many splashing fountains, with many stone horses and stone curls lighted up by the spray of fountains, with pavements of pale opal and walls of bones and beautiful designs like lace and roofs of gilded clouds. He had certainly never been an old what cheer where there were no graven images or ornaments or vestments embroidered with pearls or coats of feathers or cloth of gold. 
where God was worshipped in a plain in a building of plain walls, such as befitted God, or out of doors, where there were no walls, where baptisms were total immersion in a cold or ice-bound stream, a great hole being chopped in the ice. Sometimes the baptized were drowned, and funerals were simple matters, the dead burying the dead until there were no more to bury. She was outraged moreover by his attitude of familiarity, by his bold courage in presuming that he must have seen her somewhere before, perhaps in another life and in a darker place, for he simply could not have, she having never been outside America or in New Mexico the place from which he had most recently come, their paths having never crossed before, nor if she was in her senses. Not if she, the place from which he had most recently come, their paths having never crossed before, not if she was in her senses. She had originated in Iowa among the primitive Christians of great works and little faith, not of great faith and little works, and this headhunter had originated in the Australian bush, away down under where he should have stayed if he had been a proper headhunter, with his own mind about him. He was no proper headhunter, but another derelict, and as for staying in this house with him, this wanderer, she was convinced that one of them must go, for his proximity to her was that which was offensive an assault to her common sense, her rigorous view of things, of what was possible, of what was impossible. She would rather have seen him sulking in the bush than sulking among the golden harps and the shrouded grand pianos and the black-draped marble statues in the music halls, skulking among the shadows and the stuffed bluebirds, stopping to admire a broken Apollo, a dreaming psy psyche, a fat-stomached cupid with grapes in its hair and its nose broken when it had fallen from a Roman roof. The wooden huntresses in ruined gardens overgrown with tangled weeds and flowers which were like this, his native bush. No headhunter was worth his salt or his board and keep who engaged in such exaggerations of nature and who, though outrageously half-naked and only half-civilized, could balance an eggshell teacup perfectly on his bare knees, acting as if he might have been born in a drawing-room instead of in his native bush among bushwhackers and the Christian missionaries who had come to lose their heads and save his soul and she had simply no patience at all with his headhunter's unhealthy aspirations for a better life his sitting all day at my mother's shadowed bedside talking to a mad sick lady who supposed her head was the only world yet nothing existed outside of her in her inflated imagination not even this headhunter with his wild mean and calculated incalculable eloquence his flow of broken rhetoric ranging from heaven to earth and bird babblings and unintelligible speech and imitations of lyrebird of a lyrebird, the love songs of a lyrebird who had fallen in love with an Australian spinster and had built a tower of earth to her window. Miss Mackintosh was utterly disgusted by my mother's teaching him fine table manners and by his eating from plates of silver and plates of gold and not mere paper plates such as Miss Mackintosh preferred for our lunches upon the sand dunes and by my mother's trying to teach him to read an old Ritz menu no longer understandable to her and by her giving him an astrucian mirror and an ivory comb encrusted with jewels and the name of a tailor who would make him a fine gentleman from head to foot. For if he were fully dressed, then who would be warned of his former appetites? What dreaming lady, attracted to him, thinking that he was a lady-killer, might supposedly lose her head? Nothing could be less attractive than a headhunter to a simple-minded person like herself, Miss Mackintosh, snorting with her broken nose, ready to show this corpulent savage that, though he might lead some other lady to the garden down the garden path, he could never tamper with her private feelings and her sense of honest dignity, that she was not 
one to encourage these wild dreams of his or lead him astray. He was an affront, in fact, to her feelings of her own separate and lonely existence, her energetic life which rejected self-love or the love of any other person, her own life which kept its distance, even as she had kept her head upon her shoulders, losing her head to no man. Her head had never yet been turned by earthly flattery or even by the divine truth. She was surely no one to encourage his exaggerated ambitions. His desire to use her head as a model and to sculpture a great stone head which should be like hers, one of which the periphery should be lost in clouds, for he had said so, mumbling brokenly with thickened lips, his eyes livid, that he would hide it in a dark place, that it should be crowned with no flowers, and put in a desert place and void where no traveller should ever come, or there should come only a few, where none should see and live. He had promised. His compliments had been just those which made her cheeks turn red, even in retrospect, and yet he was always seeming to hunt after Miss Mackintosh's head, always trying to stop her in her lively walks and tell her that he preferred her head to all the other heads he had ever, ever seen, both living and dead, both human and inanimate, both flesh and marble, that for his purposes it was practically unique, God's greatest masterpiece, a head such as he had always dreamed of. He was always putting his head in where his head was not wanted, parting the curtains, trying to surprise Miss Mackintosh, to take her unaware, always likely, when she least expected him, to confront her in a dark corner, try to pass the time of day with guttural and broken ravings, which, though he was eloquent, seemed to suggest that he might still revert to the noble savage, for his enthusiasm knew no bounds, and his anxieties were very great when he asked her how she was how she was, or expressed the peculiar delight he found in looking at her head as if her head had been rare very rare indeed, something not quite of this world, as he would say, something of the last or the next, he seeming unable to make up his mind. She was almost ready to believe that he had never been a headhunter at all. She scoffed at his admiration, but he must have admired the high cheekbones, the delicate contours of that coarse and often high-colored face, the flaring broken nostrils ridged by a red line, the thin lips so colorless in a gray light that they were almost invisible, the furrowed brow, the flat, close-set ears.